0: Matthew chapter 6, and I want to make move on to the next line. We could spend a lot of time just meditating upon the name of the Lord and what we're praying for when we pray, hallowed be your name. But I think I can leave the rest to you to think about and ponder in your daily devotions and meditations. Let's move on to the next line, where it says in verse 10, Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, your kingdom come. And as I say, one line leads to the other. Once you've prayed, may your name be hallowed, may, may you be glorified and recognized, honored in the world. Well then, the, what we really are praying, the very next thing to say is, your kingdom come. And so once again, it's a major topic in the Bible and we're being invited to think along those lines. We're being invited when we pray to be praying that god 's kingdom will come, that 's the permeations flow through all of our thinking as we pray. So we have to know something about the kingdom. What is the kingdom? well it 's another way of talking about salvation. i don 't know whether you 've ever noticed this, but there are various ways of talking about salvation. We normally use the notion of being saved. When we talk about someone coming to faith in Jesus, we say, well, he got saved. And the picture is that he was in danger, that he was setting himself up for tragedy, but he got rescued, he got delivered, he got saved. And that's the customary way of speaking about uh, these things. We talk about salvation, we talk about being saved. But it's not the only way of talking about salvation, there's half a dozen different, totally different ways of talking about salvation. One is and I think it's the biggest one. I don't think being saved is the biggest way of talking about salvation. The biggest way of talking about salvation is to use the word kingdom. The, and the, the, the picture is different. The picture is that we are weak, that we're powerless, that we're defeated, that enemies are, are running over us and conquering us. But a king comes along, a mighty king, with a powerful exercise of his, of his kingship. King, kingdom really means kingly power. It's not just an area, it's more kingly power. The kingly power of a great king comes along. And he's able to put down all of our enemies and take us as his people and rescue us. It's the same thing, only you're looking at it in, in a different way. And then there are other ways, we'll come back to that in a moment, there are other ways. Sometimes it's put in terms of hygiene. We were dirty and we need to be washed clean. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. You're you're putting the picture of salvation in terms of cleanliness and hygiene and dirt and uh, feeling disgraced. Sometimes it's put in terms of honour. We are dishonoured and despised and we're non-entities. But God comes along and he wants to glorify us. He wants to honour us. He wants to raise us to dignity. Sometimes it's put in terms of a law court. We are condemned and we're about to be punished but someone comes along and pays the price uh, and and intervenes and and speaks on our behalf into the law court and we are justified, we are declared righteous and because we're declared righteous, we're set free and we're liberated. You're you're using legal picture language. Sometimes the picture is that of enmity and friendship. We were the enemies of God and God was the enemy of us. It was a two-way enmity. We didn't like God and God didn't like us. We had sinned against him and he didn't like our sins and we didn't particularly want him. There's a double enmity and Jesus comes and he reconciles us to the Father. And salvation is reconciliation. There are all these different ways of putting the picture of salvation, of what we normally call salvation. But I would think the biggest one is actually kingdom. It's it's the earliest one. It's it's way back in the Garden of Eden. when, When you read Genesis what's your basic impression of God? When you read Genesis 1, what's your basic impression of God? Well, your basic impression of God, surely, when you read Genesis chapters 1, 2, 3, is that God is a king. He he makes this, he makes that, he does all these things. He's just ruling and reigning. And have you ever noticed he's creating kingdoms? Have you ever noticed that? He puts the sun in the sky, and it says in Genesis that he puts the sun in the sky to rule. Have you ever noticed how the sun is a kind of king? The sun is put in the sky to rule over the the heavens. And so God is creating big kings. He puts the sun and the moon to rule over the day. It's it's a word expressing kingship and and dominion, and ruler. And to rule over the night... And he, he makes the great fishes and some do, to be little kings in the oceans. And then he makes man. And when he makes man, men and women, he says, let them have dominion. It's, an, it's, another, it's another word of rule and kingship and reign. We're meant to be ruling over our world. We were appointed to be little kings under the great king. From day one, God was a king of kings. We're, we're the little kings and he's the big king. He's our king and we're the king of everything else under him. We're meant to rule and reign and have dominion, beginning with having dominion over ourselves. first thing we should be able to control and rule is ourselves. There's to be kings reigning and ruling. But we fell and we lost our dominion. We do not see all things under him, says Hebrews chapter 2. But when you look at God... Our sin doesn't affect God's kingdom at all. When man sins, God is as much a king as he ever was. He just tells Satan what's going to happen. He tells Eve what's going to happen. He tells Adam what he's going to do. He says one day he'll send a saviour. He'll crush the, the head of, of the snake. He's as much a king as he ever was. His kingdom's not been affected by man's sin. God's kingdom is not altered or diminished by man's sin. He's as much a king as ever. And in his kingly power, he's gonna do a few things. He lets men work it all out for a few, for a few, whatever, millennia, centuries, whatever, until finally things are so bad he sends the flood and wipes it all out and starts again. Man sins again. He doesn't, he doesn't learn the lesson. You think after one fall he would learn the lesson. You think after the flood he would learn the lesson even more, but he still doesn't learn the lesson. So God starts salvation moving in a big way, beginning with Abraham. It uses Abraham, and he says, through you and your seed, I'm going to send a saviour. And through you and your seed, all the nations are going to be blessed. He's a king, he's ruling and reigning everywhere. And sooner or later, people start using the word king. The word king is not used very much in Genesis, but sooner or later, we're told that God is a king, a great right? king over all the earth. God is a king, and he's going to send A king is going to set up a kingly, a regime with his royal and kingly power. And it goes on and on and on. The greatest book of the Bible about kingdom is Daniel. And great earthly kingdoms arise. The Babylonians with their great earthly power. The Greeks with their cleverness and their wisdom. The Persians who invented the postal system. You know that The Romans come along, these mighty empires. But Daniel says, in the time of the fourth emperor, in the time when when Rome is ruling, there'll come another another sort of king. A king will come riding upon the clouds of heaven. To him will be given a kingdom. A kingdom's going to be set up in the days of the fourth empire, in the days of the Romans conquering the world. And then John the Baptist and Jesus come, and they say, repent, because the kingdom is at hand. Everything Daniel spoke about is going to happen now. It's beginning now. The kingdom is at hand. Salvation is put in terms of a kingdom. It's the way that Jesus spoke. Jesus didn't so much speak about salvation. He did. He said, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, but not so much. His main term was kingdom. You may want to ask the question why does the term kingdom not carry on? When you read Paul, he doesn't use the word kingdom so much, certainly not as much as Jesus. And uh, people sometimes ask the question, well, why, "Why doesn't that vocabulary ca- carry on?" And people sometimes seem to talk as though there's two gospels: the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of salvation. I'm sure you've heard people talk that way. People say, "We don't want the gospel. Of, you, all you people talk about salvation. We need the gospel of the kingdom." And they normally mean we need, we need to see lots more miracles than we do. Um, but there's, no, there's not two gospels. There's only one, only one gospel. So why did the language change? Well, the, the language changed because. The preaching went outside of Israel. In, in the Roman world, Caesar was king. You'd be a bit foolish to go around proclaiming a kingdom when there's a kingdom already. You're getting yourself into trouble for no reason. I was once in India many years ago, preaching at an evangelistic crusade, and it got into bad trouble. We, we faced fierce persecution. The local Hindus drove big lorries all over the... The ground where we were preaching, they did everything they could to destroy the, the crusade, although we had official permission to, to, to preach there. And the local council had given us permission. But we faced very fierce persecution. But afterwards, we found out partly why the persecution was so bad. The, the notices were talking about Jesus and his kingdom. And the Hindi word for kingdom is Raj the term that, that was used of the British Empire, the British and their raj, the British and their Empire, the British and their Kingdom. And here's some white guy saying, I'm coming to bring the Kingdom. It, it looks as though I was bringing the Empire back. <laughs> and, uh, and it was really uh, causing problems. But it, it was because we used the word Kingdom. If we hadn't used that word Kingdom or raj, we we wouldn't have had those problems. The, the word Raj was unnecessarily offensive. And you remember the time when someone went to George Bush and pleaded with him to stop using the word crusade. You, you, know, that, you know that story. George Bush, the crusade against evil. That's the one word you don't use talking to Muslims, crusades. You be careful about your vocabulary sometimes. And that's the situation in the first century. The apostles rather dropped the word kingdom. It was okay for Israel, it's not quite so appropriate for the Greek Roman world. And so they started talking instead about salvation and good news. The, the Romans and Greeks wanted rescue and delivering and good news. They weren't so eager to find a king. They thought they had one. And so they, they changed the vocabulary. But it's not, it's not a big thing. Kingdom and salvation are, are the same. They simply changed the vocabulary. And occasionally the old vocabulary is still used. Paul says we were transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. They still used the vocabulary a bit, but it was, it was easier to be a bit more tactful when preaching to the Greco-Roman world. So they rather dropped the word kingdom. But kingdom, salvation, it's the same thing. And as I say, the wider term, the bigger, larger term is the term kingdom. It's the big term of the Bible all over the place and the term that Jesus used. So what then is the kingdom? Well, it is Jesus being the king and he's about to bring his rule, his authority, his salvation to bear in our world. Now the big thing to notice with regards to both kingdom and salvation is that it comes in stages. And Jesus would say, the kingdom has come. Repent because the kingdom's here, the kingdom at hand. If I, by the Spirit of God, cast out demons, cast out Beelzebub, then the kingdom of God has come among you. It's here, it's, it's arrived. The king, the kingdom is wherever the king is. Jesus is the king. And where you have the king, you have the kingdom. If Jesus is here, Jesus is ruling and reigning when the, kingdom, the kingdom's here because he's the king. And so the New Testament is always saying, the kingdom's come, repent, because the kingdom's here, it's arrived, repent, get ready for these blessings now that the king's come. The kingdom has come. And yet the New Testament can also say that the kingdom of God is coming. In other words, it's come, but it's not come in its full perfection. It's It's not come with glory. The world doesn't see that the kingdom of God has come. doesn't see that Jesus is ruling and reigning. We see that Jesus is highly exalted and uh, we, we bow the knee. The Christian is a person who believes now what everybody will believe one day. One day, every knee will bow. One day, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. The difference between them and us is we confess it already. We bow the knee now. We confess that Jesus is the Lord now. We say now what everybody will say one day. So the kingdom's come and we're accept, expect, accepting Jesus as the king, but he's not been glorified, he's not been exalted in the eyes of the world. There's no kingdom of glory yet. It's still a humble kingdom. So the kingdom is still is still coming and it's coming in a humble way. This is what the Bible means by the mystery of the kingdom. Remember Jesus told parables, and he said they were parables about the mystery of the kingdom. What's the mystery of the kingdom? Well, it's that the kingdom's come and it's here, but not everybody can see it. To you, it is given. You understand, said Jesus, talking about the parable of the, of the sower or of the four soils. You understand, to you is given the mystery of the kingdom. You, you understand, to them, is all in parables, they're not, they're not seeing it yet. So the kingdom is coming, and it's coming in stages. Salvation has come, the judgment of the kingdom has not yet come. Jesus has not conquered all nations, not yet. The percentage you believe is still, is still very small. But the kingdom is coming. It's like a mustard seed, a tiny little seed. And you plant it and you think, well, can that ever produce anything? But a few, a few months later, there's it, quite a big bush there. And a year or so later, there's some gigantic tree and the birds are building their nest in it. This, this tiny seed has produced this amazing bush and, and big, big tree eventually. And that's what the kingdom is like. You sow a seed, you do some little thing, and, and amazing things come of it. I, I love Acts chapter eleven, verse nineteen. You know that verse? It's not a verse anyone ever takes any notice of, but I, I love it. They went everywhere preaching the word to no don't say amen yet, I'm not finished. Preaching the word, <laughs> preaching the word to nobody except Jews. You should, you should amen at one point. <laughs> preaching the word to nobody except, They said, no good preaching to these Gentiles. I mean, Gentiles, they never believe. Let's just, let's just go and Israel say, Preaching the word to nobody except Jews. It didn't cross their mind to witness to the Gentiles they're never going to believe. Except there were a few from Cy- Cyprus and Cyrene. They, they, were, they knew all about Gentiles. And they said, why, why can't we speak to these Greeks? Don't they need to be saved as well? And they spoke for the first time ever. They started trying to reach... Greek-speaking Gentiles, and the hand of the Lord was with them. You plant some tiny little seed. You speak to some person, you think you'll never get saved. You speak to some person, hey, but God is with you. The hand of the Lord is with them, and a great number was added to the Lord. And within a few years' time, the number of Gentiles was more than the number of Jewish Christians. And the sheer quantity of the church of Antioch was bigger than the church of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem didn't go on for very long anyway. It ceased in AD 70. The number of Gentile Christians was bigger. I sometimes preach it in, in Kenya. I think in Kenya we've got lots of Somalis. No one ever expects them to be saved. One day there might be more Somali Christians than Kikuyu Christians. It only takes God to move. and Whole tribes can be one. You never know. You see, I told you a story. I said to the pastor, find out who nobody wants. Wherever you are, find out who nobody wants. Find the people who will never get saved. And I was a schoolboy. I was saved when I was a schoolboy. And I started a Christian union. I witnessed to everybody except one person. There was one person I didn't witness to. He was the one I sat next to. thought well, he's a hopeless case. He'll never get saved. Didn't bother with him. One day the Mormons came to the school and began to evan- try to evangelise the school all to become Mormons. And I, and I argued and fought back and mobilised the Christian union. This guy said next to me that I never witnessed to. He said to me, how do you know your Bible so much? Oh, and I read every day. Can I come to church with you this Sunday? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, really? He got saved that Sunday. The only person I never witnessed to was the only one who ever got saved. (laughs) You never know what you're going to do. You plant a seed, a mustard seed. That little mustard seed, it takes root. And who knows what might come of it. I'm still in touch with that man. He's now in his 70s. The hand of the Lord is there and he does something. He just plant a mustard seed. And Jesus, who was Jesus? This little baby born in Bethlehem and lived in Galilee. Did anything good come out of Galilee? Poverty-stricken people offered a pigeon when he got born because the parents were so poor. Galilee, what what good can come out of Galilee? This despised place, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness. Ah yes, but he's the saviour of the world. God God likes to use tiny little things. Some little thing happens and the whole kingdom bursts into life. No, no, the kingdom's here, but it's here in a mystery. It's sort of mustard seed, as yes? Ah, yes, but it's growing. It's going to reach all nations. And, And amazing things are happening in our world. I don't know whether you are even conscious of it. Do you notice everybody's being saved in the wrong place? Muslims don't get saved in Muslim countries. They get saved here. Best place in the world to reach Muslims is London, Nairobi, Cape Town. That's where that's where Muslims get saved. Mind you, you go to Jeddah, you you go to Muslim Muslim places, and eighty percent of the population are not are not Muslims or not locals, and they don't care what you preach to them. You can have a church of of, of a thousand or so in in Doha. No one's going to stop you preaching to them. I, when I go to Doha, I preach my interpretation into Hindi, Pakistanis, Nepalese, they're listening. Nobody, nobody cares about what you preach. The best place in the world to reach Nepal is, is in Muslim countries. The best place to reach Muslims is outside Muslim countries. God moves everybody around, all sorts of, all, all sorts of different places, and, we all get, and they all get saved in the wrong place. God does strange things. He's the king of history. His kingdom is coming. His kingdom is coming. All nations are going to be reached. It is already true, it is already true that 10% of China are saved. The, I, I have a few books. You see some of them over there. When, the, when, they, go in, when they get published here, 5,000, 10,000. When they go into China, 100,000. The biggest quantity of people being saved in the world is in China. I've I've, had, I've seen... Indian newspapers, Hindu newspapers. If we are not careful, we are going to see whole states becoming Christians. Yeah, it's true. Why are we persecuting these Christians? These are the very people that India needs. Our gospel is going out and it's going to reach every single nation. There are going to be people saved in all nations. Some of the most unreachable nations are going to be reached, maybe in God's strange ways. Satan is not the king of the nations. The devil is not the lord of history. Jesus is the head over all things for his body, the church. Every single thing that's happening is happening for God's kingdom and God's church, and all nations will be reached. The kingdom has come, and the kingdom is coming. It has come in the person of Jesus. It is coming in the reaching of the world. And then thirdly, the kingdom of God will come. One day, this kingdom which is coming, a little bit, a little bit invisibly, a little bit quietly, and the world's not really seeing very much yet. One day, one day it will come with glory. One day, Jesus will come. Every eye will see him. Those who, who who pierced him will wail on account of him. One day it will come in glory. It will come visibly. It will shine and radiate, and no one will have the slightest doubt but that the kingdom of God has come. It has come. It is coming, and it will come. And the same is true of salvation. We have been saved, you are being saved, you will be saved. You have been saved from your sins, your guilt, your punishment, you've been forgiven, you've been born again, you have been saved. Ah, but you are being saved. To us who are being saved, says 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you're you're breaking the power of sin, you're learning new things, you're making progress, you are being rescued from your old life, and he who endures to the end shall be saved, shall get his final reward, where Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been saved, you are being saved, you shall be saved. The kingdom has come, the kingdom is coming, the kingdom will come. That's, that's the, the biblical picture of salvation or kingdom or, or, or a number of things. Many, many of the illustrations, If you notice, the illustrations are often triple. The illustrations often have got three points to it. The church is like a building. The foundation is being laid, the building is going up. One day it'll be a dwelling place of God in the spirit. The church is like a bride. The bride's been chosen. She's been washed and made clean. One day, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Notice how there's a triplicity in all of these things. He started, it's going on, it will, it will be completed. All the illustrations. The Christian is qualified to run a race. He is running the race. One day he'll get the prize. There's always this triplicity in all of the biblical illustrations of salvation. We've started, we're going on, we're going to win. This is the biblical picture. Now, the Lord's prayer prays, Your kingdom come. We join in all of this. We we cooperate and flow with all of this in our praying. We see what's going on. We see what God has done. We see what God is doing. We see what's coming. We're moving towards the day of the Lord. No matter what is happening, it's it's in the interest of, of God's gospel. And we pray that it all might be realized. We pray, your kingdom come. And this is what's going to have to inform our prayer lives. I don't know whether you know about the organization run by Patrick Johnson. Type into Google, Patrick Johnston. And you'll get, um, it will appear on your internet screen, you'll get... uh, Programmes for praying for nations every day. Every nation is prayed for in that, what's he called? I've forgotten the name of it now. Run by Patrick Johnson. You, Operation what? Operation World. Operation World. Yes, thank you. You can get it, you can get it on, your, on your internet, on your, on your, your iPhone or whatever. Every, every day you'll be given the basic bit of information of a country, day by day by day. In the moment we're in the bees, Brazil and Belgium and all those places. Pray for the nations. Pick up what's going on. It'll give you a basic statistics of what is going on there, how many Christians there are, who they are. Pray for that country. Tomorrow pray for another country. Pray for the nations. Be interested in the nations. See what you can do to spread the gospel everywhere. Our nation is declining. Western civilization seems to be coming to an end. Nothing, nothing can rescue us except the gospel. If the gospel doesn't rescue us, nothing else will. When a nation declines, the only thing that rescues it is, is the gospel. Deteriorates the goes down and down and down, one sin, another sin, unnatural sin, the fullness of sin becoming full of all manner of things. Romans chapter one. The only thing that stops the, the, the decay is the gospel. Who knows what might happen here. I've not given up on Europe. Twenty I've told you before, I think, that twenty years ago when I came to Britain, didn't know where to go to church. Who's any worth anywhere worth going to church? It's not true today. Every every major city in Europe has young, new, charismatic churches, full of the Holy Spirit, less than 15 years old, with names that you've never heard of. I go to, I go to Mulheim in Germany occasionally with my friend Charlie and others, and uh, there's a big church there preaching in English. You ask the pastor, how, how did this church begin? He says, well, you know, I came here with a work permit to work and uh, couldn't find any church worth going to, so I started preaching on the streets. I didn't know any language except English, so I preached in English. Now I had all these guys joining me now there's a few hundred there, and they need, they need interpretation into Germans, into German, because of local people being saved every Every major city in Europe, or the big ones, have all got lively churches they're all young they're not, they're not the old archaic traditional churches they're young. I'm not giving up on Europe, but it needs an outpouring of the Spirit. It needs, a, it needs the gospel preached as never before. It needs us to lay foundations and proclaim that gospel all over the place, exploiting every kind of situation we can exploit. I've not given up on Europe, but the news at the moment is bad. We are collapsing as a, as a culture. Western civilization is coming to an end. Who knows whether it might be revived. It's happened before in, in the 1720s. It looked as though the gospel was finished in England. They said the gospel was finished. It's, known, it's now known to be a fiction. Even the bishops would say, no, no, we've, we've given up now. The Christianity's come to an end in Britain. happened before. And 1734, 1735, Whitfield gets saved. 1738, Wesley gets saved. Within 40 years, Britain was the most Christian country in the world. Just, just one, just a handful of people Baptized with the Spirit, preaching with great power and authority, the entire situation is changed. And, and from, a, from, give, from getting ready to give up on the gospel altogether, 40 years later, we're the most Christian country in the world. Just because of the, Wes, the Wesleyan, Whitfieldian movement of the Spirit in 18th century Britain. So don't give up, who knows what might happen? But on the, other, on the other hand, God is reaching the world. India is going to be a Christian country one day. China is going to be a Christian country one day. Maybe, maybe not too far ahead. I've, I've read in Chinese books, books written by Chinese people, it's only a matter of time before there's a Constantinian change in China. You know what Constantine did? In the middle of, the middle of persecution, he suddenly quits the, the persecution, declares himself a Christian. Only a matter of time, say some of the books. Only a matter of time before there's a Constantinian change in China. No, no, the kingdom of God is coming. But we need to pray and then we need to be ready to be the answers to our own prayers. Have you noticed that? A bit dangerous to pray because the Lord might say, well I'm glad, I'm glad you're praying for someone to go there because I'm sending you. <laughs> no, it's true. Don't you notice in the, in the Gospels that Jesus says to the disciples, go, pray, that the Lord of the harvest might send forth laborers. Next chapter, he appoints the apostles. I'm sending you, actually, he says. bit dangerous to pray. The Lord might say, yeah, I'm sending you. I'm glad you prayed that. You're the answer. Be ready. God's kingdom is coming. God's will is going to be done. You're going to be provided for. Your sins will be forgiven. He'll protect you from the evil one and the kingdom of God is on its way. And one day it will be glorious and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Lord. It's begun, we're just on the way to its consummation. Let's pray and then we'll have lunch. Our Father, I pray that you will widen our vision. Give us a big vision of your kingdom, your power, your authority, your lordship. You, Lord Jesus Christ, who are sitting upon the throne of the universe, may we see you and may we be one of the ones who are agents of the kingdom as it comes and maybe quite soon. Please, Lord, give us such a vision and help us to pray in such a way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.